Embrace life with a change for the better. Challenge your comfort zone with Glenn Miller, your personal comfort zone coach, enabling you, in whatever way you may need to, to step outside your comfort zone. The Outside Your Comfort Zone podcast explores proactive and practical tips based on years of lessons learned and expert skills and advice that will enable you to accomplish more. Each episode puts a spotlight on topics and experts in their field who will compel you to action and to get more things done outside your comfort zone. Welcome back to another episode of Exploring Your Comfort Zone. I'm your host, Glenn Miller, and today we're going to explore an incredible topic um, around time. And the timing of my podcast is largely inspired by my late mother, Margot Miller. For years, I've wanted to start my own podcast, albeit uh, usually aligned to my business and those commercial passions. But regardless of where the podcast would eventually end up, I procrastinated for a long time. And I suppose it's because I got caught in the rut of life and that attitude and the excuse really of, I didn't get to it. And that's probably always been the excuse, the excuse of time. I just didn't have time to get to it. By the end of this episode, it'll be abundantly clear why the timing of this podcast is largely inspired by my late mum. So for now, I specifically dedicate this episode to you, mum. And if you're out there listening, uh, I hope you hear this. As an aside though, I'd like to take a moment to encourage you to have your mum in mind while you listen to this episode. And my key takeaway, which I'll reinforce again at the end of the episode, is to call your mum if you still have your mum and tell her how much you love her and what she means to you. And if you don't, then call someone else close to you and thank them for their love and support and acknowledge them and the good that they've done that positively influences you and the reason it does. In episode one, I asked the question, what is your comfort zone? Have you ever stopped and actually thought about yours, ever? In the episode, I said, and this is a summary, but when you picture a comfort zone or your comfort zone, what do you see? If you close your eyes to make that picture, how would you describe it? Most people actually see a circle, an area, a zone, um, sometimes feet in a circle. The common theme is a kind of metaphorical boundary around our comfort zone, and additionally, we're faced with feelings of challenge, discomfort. The, the whole experience can be quite confrontational. And that's the point. Um, and that's the point of this podcast. So in this episode, I want to confront uh, what I think through the experience I'll share is life's most precious commodity ever known to man. Actually, since the dawn of time, and you guessed it, that word time. And I want to focus a very specific lens on how we manage time. I aim to convey a perspective on life and time in a way I hope will impact you so much that this won't just be, I'll tune out of the podcast uh, and get back to life, but actually impart on you a modification of how you approach your time. Uh, I, know, I know that's very vague, but we'll, we'll delve a bit deeper in you know, how you think about every second of every minute of every hour in every day in a really simple way. And how you plan to use every minute, most importantly, but but what you're doing with the minutes and where you're spending them and how you're spending them. I hope you'll go away and assess your time, hopefully to make an immediate change due to the impact of this episode. And I'll give you some super simple tools and techniques I use that others around me have you know, taken on board and, and seem to be a great methodology and framework 
for how they improve their use of time. So my mum recently passed away and the process of her passing has accelerated my life. And that's really the crux that I want to share with you and extrapolate. So in March 2019, my mum was diagnosed with mesothelioma, a lung cancer from asbestos poisoning. In fact, initially the diagnosis was not conclusive. The pathologists in Sydney St. Vincent Hospital were divided um, on her labs, her results, and they were sent off to Canada to a global specialist in mesothelioma to actually confirm the outcome. And because her face, her fate uh, would be terminal if it was mesothelioma, um, it, it would be incurable and to hence terminal. And if it wasn't, it would actually be have been 100% curable. And sadly, within the weeks later, uh, we were advised the terrible news that the results did in fact confirm that mum had mesothelioma. So the bad news hit like a rock falling in water. So I can't express enough um, the human emotions and the feelings of deep anger and immense sadness and despair all at once when you hit with true grief. Um, <laughs> I get emotional thinking about that, but but this is my point that until... You know, if you're listening and you've experienced loss, you know exactly what I mean. Um, and and you, you may actually be, un, you know, very familiar with the process that comes with grief. And, and simply, I want to spell out for you, there's a five-stage process of grief widely known and understood by many um, that it originated from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And it's formally known as the five stages of grief model or the Kubler-Ross model. Um, she discovered this around 1969 and she's actually got a book on death and dying. She's a Swiss American psychiatrist and documented a model from her research, which literally just lists, and this is the crux, the five stages being denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So this is not designed to be a depressing episode. Um, and on the contrary, I'm just phrasing and framing, um, an inherent, I hope, emotion within you while you're listening, um, back to what I'd said about being hit with true grief as a catalyst to be used as an opportunity to propel us forward. So paralleling it to a comfort zone, it's not in our comfort zone uh, to feel negative and to be down, but sometimes we're faced with scenarios beyond our control that actually force us to take the bull by the horns and learn to deal with it or cope with it. So I have put a link, if it interests you, um, to the Wikipedia, unfortunately, but that's got absolutely factual references um, to the Kubler-Ross model, if it interests you. And if you know anyone who's been through grief and is grieving, it's just quite helpful in a simple sense to just have a look at that article because it can help you relate to somebody and the time that they're going through, through that process. Secondly, I can confirm both from my personal experience and then either watching or processing together my surrounding family members and those close to me, the different stages as we got this news and literally by design uh, happened to move through, maybe not in the identical order, these five stages together. And, and as we all kind of received this news, we, you kind of went away and went about our days. Uh, obviously at the time, mum was there and you know, we had the ability to talk to her. But at first, you actually don't want to believe and you almost feel compelled to disprove any logic at the, sake, at, the, at the sake of refuting the news. 
So, you know, that's the, the symptom of denial. You, you just can't believe what you're hearing. And there's a process to that where one, the denial hits you in the face. The other is actually accepting it uh, or, or heading towards acceptance that what you've heard isn't a dream, you know, that let me pinch myself moment. So w- once you kind of um, either deny what you're hearing or, or tend to just move on, you, you then move into a phase of getting really angry. And with much resentment, you start a process of justification and heading into the third phase, which is bargaining with yourself, with others, with doctors, family, friends, and even patients themselves, um, talking to them, you know, about what you've just heard and, and you, you know, just disbelief. And that then moves towards a state of despair because as humans inherently, our instinct prevents us from ever wanting to accept failure. So we push away. But the final stage is hopefully at some point accepting if in this case, which it is a fatal diagnosis, and actually moving forward to processing it. And I swear to you that this is precisely the process that unraveled before my heart and my eyes and needed to be processed by, by my mind. Um, and this is fairly new, only you know two, two months ago, well, two years ago, um, leading towards mum's passing two months ago. But it was during the processing that mum's fate caused mine to literally hit me in the head. And I recognized this for me as what Google referred to as a Zmot, a zero moment of truth. I suddenly accelerated my thoughts around everything I'd been putting off, realizing and starting to observe a perspective of what and who matter the most to me. You know, when you're forced to process bad news, one thing it does like a movie reel, is almost stop everything around you. You're almost looking at things in slow motion. You're just at the thought of disbelief. So the thought of having mum taken away, the finality, um, the chance to prepare, the thought of last goodbyes and happy memories, um, I'm a bit choked up. They all culminated in how things work around me, um, how they come together or, or the lack thereof and what matters most to me and why. Um, the corollary of considering those things and people that like don't deserve my time or have I been wasting time with things and activities, you know, going in circles sometimes. So you start to think about the things and trying to make some sense of it all while you're coming to terms with this other news and your, your two worlds sort of collide. You thrust into a world of dealing with an issue, in this case, my mum, but for you, it could just be bad news at work. It, it could be um, you know, health, medical, it, it could be a myriad of other things causing you to freeze your time frame and kind of Getting all the things waffling through your mind, you know, over the past and ordering the structure and organizing them in some way of actually making sense of it all. Because as I said, as humans, we always need to move forward and we need a way to process. And oftentimes the mind is not seen like a muscle in the body. If you want to evolve yourself and grow, whether it's a goal to lose weight or head to a gym, buff up or just get fit, Generally, you have to realize that's what you want to do. And once you get started, there's going to be pain. If you're at the gym pushing weights or you're running and you've never run or you start walking at pace and you've never walked, generally you wake up stiff the days ahead. And the mind's a muscle. So any trauma is going to cause a flow-on effect by the process itself. And mental illness, uh, sorry, mental health, mental illness, male, female, is more prominent in our times. It's, it's more 
um, adaptive today. P- people recognize it. People talk about it. It obviously was suppressed years ago. We live in fortunate times. But within all of this, my goal at least was to address and prioritize these two worlds. And what I started to realize is I don't know that I managed the human part of time as well as I could be. When you think of time, an interesting word to explore is threshold. And this is probably not an approach you would ever have thought of. To fully understand time, how to manage and organize it most efficiently as a human and relative to each other and to each of us personally, I think we must consider our individual threshold first, which means we need to understand what that word threshold means. And so we can apply it to ourselves personally. And in order to best apply a change in how we approach our own personal versions of time. If you Google the definition of the word threshold, and I've cross-referenced that to the dictionary, which it does, what you get is the magnitude or intensity that must be exceeded for a certain reaction or phenomenon, result, or condition to occur or be manifested. That sounds a bit like a string of mumbo-jumbo, but in other words, what it's saying is there's a kind of boiling point or tipping point that is met or reached or achieved by the word threshold. So my question to you listening is, what is your threshold for time? If you've never stopped to take a step back and actually carve up and analyze where every minute goes, and that that may seem irrelevant, but my analogy to grieving is a real hard stop that until you're forced into a position to assess your time, do you actually realize how precious every minute is? And I'll cross-reference that by saying there's so many factors that can contribute to what I've just said. But if I hone in on some that matter to everybody, for example, family time versus work, life, balance, friends, activities, exercise, time for me, time for friends, there's only a certain amount of hours in a day. And as cliched as that is, the way you react to pressure is a bad product and a direct result of how you manage your time. You walk in the door after a long day at work, or you've put your child to sleep after a long day of motherhood, or any career or profession, and someone jumps in and asks you a pressurizing question, often the response is a lashback. But if you actually broke down the day and the order and when dinner happens and when conversations should happen and the right place and the right time, more importantly, a beautiful process starts to unfold. So my question again to you listening is what is that threshold of time for you? Now, what will make you stop your world to analyze what you do with your time? How much do you waste? Where does it go? Are you happy with how you spend it? So if you're perfectly satisfied with what you do with your time, how you use it, where it goes, how you spend every minute of every day, then you may want to stop listening to this episode at this point. But I hope that's not the case. And I promised on my very first podcast intro to always be honest with you. So here you go. If you've stayed with me, and I hope 99% of those who started listening are still there, then it means most of the population here are interested to get more from and do more with time. 
if you want to appreciate life, talk to someone who has met their threshold and ask them what theirs is and how that evolved. From my experience, sadly, as you've heard, my threshold quite simply presents from, stra- from tragedy. This sounds horrible, but it's true. If you have experienced tragedy personally, then the experience itself defines the threshold for you and for your learnings about the essence of time and the value it represents. When it's threatened or taken away from you, it is the threshold that is the catalyst for change. So to clarify, I'm saying that it might take a massive tragedy for someone to learn the value and lesson of time and its importance, but tragedy and experience personally is not always essential to be able to fully realize and appreciate the lessons and learnings of how to think about your time and how to finitely appreciate and adapt and approach what you do with your time for the better and differently to how you've done it in the past. For those people who don't have personal experience and perhaps wish to learn the lesson without the experience itself, which is my point, You can feed off the experience of others around you and avoid and bypass the experience itself. And that's my lesson for this episode for you to take away from you if you're so inclined and and learning from my experience in the case of the loss of my mum. If you're open-minded and willing, then you can learn lessons from someone else's tragedy. And in my case, this episode indeed is sharing that experience for you right now. Death brings one closer to the reality of time. Survivors of tragedy experience it firsthand. As painful as it is to say this and acknowledge this and confront this, it's a massive gift to share, filled with a measure and manner of hindsight that has the power to educate and expose without needing to experience it first or firsthand for oneself. My mum passed away on the 26th of February 2021, almost two years exactly after her diagnosis. The lesson and experience I share with you, and I hope and pray your mind is open to listen to and learn from, is that life is short. Time is the only commodity we have that's not transactable. You cannot grow or get it back. Organization and routine relative to time make order from the chaos, and they converge at the point we realize that time is that most valuable commodity on our planet Earth. As promised, I recommend you consider a framework on your time, for example, using or reviewing your calendar on your smartphone or the good old-fashioned manual or written diary or notebook. In addition, I'd like to introduce you to a technique within a calendar structure called time boxing or time blocking to a very rigid or structured schedule. Whether you're a career-driven man or woman or running or managing your own business, a team, just your job role, or even a housewife or mother with a crazy busy schedule, then these techniques will help you ensure you get a lot more done in a day than you ever anticipated or thought possible. Such techniques are actively leveraged by global leaders. For example, the time boxing technique is purported to be used by Elon Musk, the founder of SpaceX, CEO of Tesla, hope I've got that right, Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, and the late Steve Jobs, the CEO of Apple, to mention a few. 
A great summary of time boxing can be found in Neri Yell's book, which I just finished reading and I highly recommend, called Indistractable. It's literally at chapter nine at the six, uh, 30 minute mark, six minutes and 30 seconds. And I highly recommend the book in general in today's digital world, world, but it's about how to stay focused and specifically thinking about time, how to spend yours and how to do so better. I've linked to it in the show notes, also giving you a, a link in Amazon. So how does it work in a quick guide or soundbite? And that, that's the time boxing technique. I include links for you also in the show notes to a Wikipedia on timeboxing, clockify.me forward slash timeboxing, which, which is an approach to timeboxing, and lastly, Lucidchart that do a great job at what is timeboxing. Um, this, these three links, I hope I fast track you directly to great resources that just make it simple to understand, simple to implement. Um, one of my goals on um, exploring your comfort zone and, and a kind of a concept is I don't profess to be uh, an overly exceptionally uh, skilled expert in all the topics that we'll cover. But as I said, I'll always fold in the experts or align you to the resources that uh, are openly available to all of us and ready for us to make our own. I hope I've saved you time, however, in streamlining exactly where you'd end up having just done so myself. But effectively, you forward plan and block off slots of time that you allocate to getting things done. Whether you complete them or not, each section of time or time box is allocated to get the task done. The show notes expose further learnings around the psychology behind time boxing and how it generally and genuinely helps and, and help you get more done. I am actively running the technique of time boxing and whilst it needs to be habit formed like any other, since commencing some weeks ago, a new level of calm has resulted for me and a routine's evolved around a more complete day than ever before. In addition, my mum's tragedy has led me to analyze and review almost every aspect of my life and apply the perspective of her tragedy as a lens through which to think about decision making. I decide fast and act faster. That's where I've ended up anyway. I deal with the outcomes on the fly and process the consequences live and in real time, where previously I was an absolute procrastinator. If the outcomes fail, I've failed fast, but ensure I've learned quickly. The better the outcome and to better the outcome as a result of my poor decision making and the next decision then becomes quicker and improved for next time. I've seen this process now turn over and over. And in fact, like any other process, it's actually started to speed up for me and it is refining quicker, better and leading to smarter decisions with each new decision I make stemming off this process in the first place. And I suppose therein, there is a level of excitement which has overcome previous nerves and overcaring. So before, I had this level of angst and thinking and anxiety. And in removing the time and space that that takes place, I've resulted quick decisions, not too much thought, and I've actually moving on to the next thing. It's also made me think about some of the high-powered leaders globally. And when I look at their outcomes and look at news reports and things like TED Talks, it's clear to me that this could be a secret formula. 
One who did not know me and my past might interpret the new me as short and sweet, but I'm trying to become a lean, mean decision-making machine. And for me, it's working. And that's why I've resulted this episode. And I highly recommend you give it a go. Here's a reminder as we wrap up to call your mum. As I said, if you still have one, tell her how much you love her. And if you don't, call someone else very close to you, a best friend, another parent, a grandparent, a sibling, an auntie, an uncle, and thank them for their love and support and acknowledge them and the good that they've done that positively influences you and the reason it does. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to Outside Your Comfort Zone with Glenn Miller, your comfort zone coach. If you like what you hear, help spread the word. Subscribe to the podcast and invite a friend. For show notes, links, and extra goodies, visit comfortzonecoach.com.au.